when the chitta or mind becomes calm and quiet, wisdom or panya has a chance to grow and strengthen and we gain understanding into everything around us. We begin to suffer less based on this understanding. At the beginning of our practice, we put forth effort towards developing this quiet mind that serves as a basis for wisdom. In every posture and activity, we put forth effort. We maintain mindfulness, sati, with our meditation object. And as mindfulness grows strong, we develop the ability to know clearly and lucidly the mind and body and feelings that arise. The sense impressions which come to our eyes as we see, our ears when we hear, our nose, taste, touch, mind, these things we begin to see and understand more and more clearly from a slight distance with mindfulness. And one who develops this quality of mindfulness more and more, the Buddha said, would eventually escape Mara's trap, would escape dukkha or suffering. Sati protects the mind. When the mind that's uninstructed encounters a strong mental impression or emotion, it runs after and chases it and ushers into suffering. Because it attaches, it undergoes lamentation and suffering. And this is why we have to develop the practice that the Buddha laid down to protect and restrain the mind from following and getting drunk on various emotions. This path is intimately tied to the quality of mindfulness. We develop this quality through anapanasati, or mindfulness of breathing, knowing the inhalation and the exhalation. And at the beginning, we may sit and practice formally in this way for 30 minutes a day, which is a decent amount as a starting point. If we find that we have more energy and time and motivation, we can increase the amount of time that we sit to 45 minutes a day or even an hour. And as we develop mindfulness in this way, our samadhi or quality of lucid calm within the mind grows steady, calm, and immovable. This is our foundation of wisdom.
So we develop mindfulness constantly in the presence and we put forth the four right efforts trying to restrain negative unwholesome states from arising trying to dispel negative states that have arisen trying to usher into being positive states which have yet to arise and strengthening those which have come already into the mind if we develop right effort in this way then the robust and full breadth of the path begins to come into our lives our maintenance of sati or mindfulness makes us naturally protect our sila or morality we develop the eightfold path in all of its aspects we engage only in right speech samawacha uh not saying anything which should not be said we engage only in right action sama kamanta uh in right livelihood sama ajiwo and all of these things based upon right intention sama sankapo namely the intention to find and develop this way out of suffering we develop the eightfold path whenever we maintain correct mindfulness coming back to the simple practice itself we develop such mindfulness not just through sitting but and and what we focus the mind on during formal sitting practice but also how we hold our bodies during such pra- practice we try to keep good posture putting our right leg on top of our left crossed not leaning too far in any direction but maintaining a straight and erect posture similarly when we walk jangram or walking meditation we maintain good posture and deliberately walk left right left right moving our feet and establishing mindfulness at the beginning of the path then when we get to the middle of the path once again reestablishing our perception of where we are in relation to the whole path itself and similarly at the very end of the path once again reestablishing mindfulness as we stop reestablishing it as we turn reestablishing it as we begin to walk again we may use the meditation word budo to assist in keeping our mindfulness during walking meditation and may use it to keep our sati 
as we work to be aware at the beginning, middle, and the end of the path, as we're going and returning. Such a Jongram path is easy enough to find. We just have to find an appropriate place that has a unobstructed length of about 15 steps along which we can walk. If we prefer or only have available less space, that's fine. We should perhaps slow our speed to adjust for the limited space. And generally, meditation done while walking should be done not too quickly and not too slowly, but just right. Such practice prepares us to develop a robust mindfulness that can be maintained throughout the day. We begin to be capable of maintaining our sati when we speak, when we remain quiet, when we listen. In all postures and activities, we practice mindfulness and the heart steadily grows still. As it grows still, it develops the foundation of lucid calm it needs to see clearly into the nature of the body and of the mind. How both nama and rupa, name and form, arise, remain for a time and pass away how they are simply changing conditions and cannot said, be said to be a self, a being, a person, an animal, anything other than simply shifting conditions of nature. This is easier to see with the body, but it is the same with the chitta, the mind. The Buddha advised and instructed us to develop this knowing of the process that is our body and is our mind. But he also further exhorted his disciples to not become attached even to that knowing quality itself. When we know, we understand that we know, but we put that knowing down and understand it as just Dhamma and not a self. We see the mind affected by lust, hatred, and delusion as just the mind or chitta affected by lust, hatred, and delusion. The chitta, when imbued with good or bad qualities, when engaging in unskillful or skillful things, is known as just that much. When it's bright, as it will sometimes be, we know it as just that. And similarly, when it's darkened. Instead of attaching to it as a self, 
as most are wont to do, we simply know it. And this is where wisdom comes from. But even this wisdom is not worth attaching to, not worth trying to own or appropriate. We just practice developing this knowing quality and this wisdom in a more impersonal capacity. Such a nurtured citta is of immense benefit. As the Buddha said, the well-practiced mind brings happiness and the ill-practiced mind brings suffering. As it chases after the various mental impressions that it encounters, we must protect it and make knowledge and mindfulness its protectors. During our lives, we may have developed great skill and knowledge in arts and various subjects, but we must still put forth effort in this most important of activities and educations, that of the education of the mind and of our mindfulness. We begin to understand the drawbacks, the suffering inherent in not keeping sila, morality, in the mind that's lost, in restlessness, in avarice, in liking and disliking, in doubt, annoyance, hindrances in the other negative states. We understand the suffering inherent in such things and we work to develop positive qualities such as metta or loving kindness. We develop this quality of metta through wishing that we may have happiness and that others may as well. But we may find it's most useful to begin developing it towards ourselves first. Ahang sukito homi, may I be happy. From there, we may extend it to others and to those most close and dear to us to whom we are indebted, such as our parents. This is metta bhavana. Similarly, we can develop the basis of the well-practiced mind through the development of the satipatthana, or four foundations of mindfulness. The foundation of sati based on and knowing the body, feelings, mind, and dhamma, or mental qualities. And as we begin to develop perception of these four bases based in mindfulness, we find our suffering lessens as we see the world less and less in terms of self and me and mine. If we don't practice, then what we can expect from life 
is pain and suffering unnecessarily, dukkha. We know that what waits for us in the future will involve loss, decay, sickness, and death. That all these things wait for every one of us inevitably. Even if we are in the flush of youth and haven't yet seen the reality of decay in our own bodies and minds, we can expect that we will soon enough. As we grow older, these truths become increasingly evident. Our hearing goes, our vision fades, the body decays. Even those who live to ripe old ages of 80, 81, 83, such as several well-known teachers who recently passed, these still eventually die, even if most illnesses don't come to them, that of old age eventually takes them, as it will all of us. If we're born, we eventually pass. So right now, how are we preparing for these inevitabilities? Right now, we have energy to sit, walk, and practice formally. We have energy to put forth effort into the practice of bhavana or mental cultivation, which is a source of happiness and merit greater than giving, dana, greater than sila, morality. It's a profound source of well-being that we should take every opportunity to cultivate and increase, putting forth effort in its development and strengthening our mindfulness whenever possible. Whether we find ourselves at the monastery, at home, or anywhere, we work to develop this path, making the mind quiet, contemplating, giving rise to wisdom, and therefore giving rise to great good in both ourselves and those near us.